You've reached the Kelly Winland Podcast. On today's episode, we interview Tim Wenner, cash reconciliation and revenue cycle expert, as well as the leader of Logisolve's Software Hospital Cash Reconciliation Group. Coming up next. Yeah, so yeah, so I got uh, I got my coffee, Tim. How are you doing this morning? Doing great, Kelly. Thanks. So, Tim, you and I have known each other a long time, um, over twenty years, and uh, and so from a personal perspective, I I know about you. I know about you professionally, but I've always wondered. You're one of the rare people I know that is great at details. You can get into. Um, the, uh, how payments are made, where cash comes from, the, the kind of level of details that people that are at the very um, data gathering uh, level understand, but you're also able to express that to senior executives and talk at a strategic level. Are you naturally, do you consider yourself more naturally detail-oriented or more of a big-picture person? I think it's a blend of both. I think from the very detail side, um, for whatever reason, I have a, a need to reconcile things. And so it's, it's, it fits naturally, you know, and that's why accounting as a, as a field appealed to me at a young age. Um, just the need to put everything into balance and, and that going down to the very detailed level, making sure that, you know, A equals B, um, and, then I think my work experience and having been a part of a lot of conversations throughout my career, which, you know, has been a blend of the accounting and the finance, uh, fortunate enough to get deep into the revenue cycle area within healthcare, but then also being exposed to IT, which is, you know, where you and I met at first, you know, being put in charge of technology solutions. I think that blend of experience and then being in the room at the, at the C-suite level, um, you know, gathering all those experiences over the year, I think allows me to have those conversations. And I think especially facilitate conversations between those three areas within operations um, is something I've learned to do well. When you were a kid, were you better at math or were you better at English or were you just good at both of them? You know, probably better at math. Math and science, I think, was was definitely the strength. English was probably my least favorite subject. Um, not that I couldn't write. I can I can be fairly articulate when I need to be, but definitely gravitated towards the numbers and the science of things. Because you, you say you're A plus B equals C, but you also, I know you, you'll you hop up on a karaoke stage or up with the band and you'll grab the microphone and you'll you'll sing all night long. And so that's not a very careful, you know, you, you make yourself sound careful, but I don't know you as that careful. Yeah, well, that's my closeted extrovert coming out. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm a little eclectic in that way that uh, I probably have a few sides that I can I can share over time. But but yeah, the analytics, you know, you sit me down with a bunch of data, spreadsheets, and and information that needs to be you know put together in in terms of pieces of a puzzle. That that's really my happy place from a work standpoint, solving problems. Um, finding solutions that that's really that's really my niche would your wife say that you're an introvert or an extrovert you know i keep i always think of myself as an introvert and i think in in an uncertain unfamiliar setting that's what's on display um but i you know i I can certainly have extroverted tendencies you know i 
I try to display a pretty good sense of humor. And so again, when, when I'm comfortable, um, then that extrovert personality starts to come out. Sure. Yeah. How, how, how did you end up getting into, into software? Cause we met in it, you know, you were, you were an accountant and, and how did you end up as a soft leading a software division? I think it's strictly out of naivety. I, I, um, you know, as a kid, you know, being, you know, where PCs were first coming out. And so I, you know, I was the first kid on the block to own a, I think it was an Atari 800 XL and just started to play around, you know, watching games, watching movies like war games and messing around with modems and, and hitting bulletin boards. And so I, I had a, a little bit of a knack and exposure to it at an early age. And then I think, being one of the younger people in the workforce at the company that I that I worked with, where you and I met, I think I just I had uh, less less fear in that realm than a lot of the people that I worked with, and so when we had needs and opportunities to implement a new practice management system or install a rack of servers or you know start to to get into this thing called the internet and open up an online sales platform or even implement the CRM tool, which is actually where I first engaged with, with your group. It, it was just, you know, I was the one that, that didn't step back from the opportunity, the challenge. And so, you know, with that, uh, and continued opportunities, I started to gain some experience and, and again, just, you know, not having the fear to kind of dive in and, and try to figure out how things work. And I, and I don't consider myself a highly technical person. I don't know all the nuances and the, the language and nomenclature that comes along with that world, but I know logic. Um, and so a lot of it, if you break it down, it just comes down to, you know, logically figuring out how things work or, or better yet, why things aren't working. Yeah. Do do you, you say you're not technical, but you're, you're, you lead a software group. You've, you've built out a software that's sold commercially to, to large enterprises. Um, do you consider yourself better at the people side, better at the process side or better at the technology side? Probably better at the people and process side. Um, but that being said, again, it's it's about the the language of people. Um, I guess I would I would separate that from the programming language. So I don't know the programming language. I can't sit down and write code, but I can articulate business requirements from the operations and the finance folks down to the developers and bridge that gap, and and also help to troubleshoot again logically. Um, what needs to happen or why aren't we accomplishing, you know, the, the end result that we set out to accomplish um, in terms of the development that is happening and the programming that's happening. So when we're not achieving the desired result, I can help go back with the developer, sit down and, and help them. Again, I can't write the code, but I can certainly um, interpret the code at a level where I can help diagnose and, and suggest, you know, what path we might need to take. Many people listening uh, right now will will be technologists, no doubt, um, and, and many of them probably have built software or had ideas for software. And I run across many people that say, "Hey, I've got a great software. I, I know there's a niche. I know there's a th- there's a market out there, but I can't figure out how to sell it. I can't figure out why." customers won't jump at it because I could save them so much money or it could make their businesses so much more profitable. 
Why do you think you have been able to to take this idea in a pretty narrow you know area within business revenue cycle cash reconciliation within healthcare within or, or large businesses it probably expands beyond healthcare but but you started it with hospitals and clinics and healthcare why do you think you've been able to take that idea and and turn it into a commercial success well i think it it starts with understanding what what the problem statement is what what are the pain points that you're trying to solve and then can you provide a product or a solution that can resolve or alleviate those pain points while providing value in order to solve those issues and so it's understanding operationally what what do they need to achieve from a bottom line perspective and a lot of that comes down to ROI in terms of labor replacement so can you automate enough of the business functions to replace certain FTE cost within the organization? And I think that's what we've done really well in the story that we, we tell with our solution is we can draw a pretty hard line between um, what it's costing you to do this manually um, and all the manual effort that's involved across the spectrum of revenue cycle and finance and accounting and, and then articulating what of those, which of those pieces are we going to be able to automate? and therefore be able to, you know, replace that FTE cost. And then also, you know, help them to recognize the the softer costs around not being able to reconcile cash in, in the case of our solution. So you really, it starts with providing a product that provides value. And so that, that you can have the best solution in the world, but if it's too costly, and and it may solve a particular problem, but if it's not affordable, it, it's going to be a pretty tough sell. And so that's where I think, you know, we've hit a sweet spot with many of our clients and, and we continue to try to drive that cost down so that we can, you know, extend to, you know, the smaller platforms, the the individual providers um, and, and some of that level. But it, it really does boil down to what is the value proposition. So what are you going to be able to provide and how can they reduce costs as a result? How important do you think the the relationship part of the first sales are or getting those first opportunities? Are there alternatives to having, you know, for a young person who doesn't have relationships in the industry, um, you know, acknowledging that they need to have a product that has a lot of business value and be able to show ROI um, is there something beyond relationships that can help a, a new software entrepreneur start up in your mind? Well, I, th- I think, again, you have to demonstrate value. And so from a marketing perspective, you know, how can you most clearly communicate that message? How can you help to illustrate the the value that your your product or your solution provides? You know, but relationships are key, you know, when we were starting out with this solution, um, you know, your reputation is everything. And so providing a high degree of service, building that referral base with your customers so that you can move to customer B, C, D, and E and have them refer back to your prior installations and have those customers, you know, really sing your praises and, and, and help you articulate, you know, the value that you provide. I think relationships are key. Um, certainly, and, and, and being able to maintain those relationships and be able to provide a high degree of service um, where your customers are actually doing a lot of the work for you through word of mouth referral. 
is very important. I know a lot of of your competitors um, have, in a lot of software companies in general, general have outsourced their support and maintenance after they make the initial sale and installation. And, and you've maintained really the, the, the same local team for the most part that does the support and maintenance for, for your customer base over the long term. How important do you think that is in, in maintaining those cust- the customer satisfaction? Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's important, and there's a balancing point there because there's a cost trade-off. Um, you know, local experience talent is expensive, um, but with that talent comes a high degree of service. And I, I've experienced myself, and I've heard from customers who have had bad experiences with offshore support, um, and so a lot of customers feel that that's a bit of a bait and switch that you get you know, the local person providing the demo. Um, and then as soon as you go live, you're handed off to a group that, that doesn't know your business, doesn't know your contacts, and, and possibly, you know, isn't as effective in communicating and providing support. And so for us, I think having the local the local presence, establishing those deep relationships between the folks that support our software and our clients is crucial. Um, but there is some compromise to be made there from a cost standpoint. You can blend in, and we've started to blend in um, the use of some some less expensive offshore resources, but you have to blanket that with that high level of support on the front end. You can't sacrifice quality of support, quality of service um, for the cost of support, or it, it just isn't a sustainable business model. Your clients will start to look elsewhere uh, for a solution that they're more comfortable with. Well said, Mr. Wenner. Well said. Hey, one last uh, question before you, and, and I'll let you get on with your day. Uh, and and this, is, this is a question I, I ask everybody, is if you were going to do anything else besides what you do for your day job, what what would that be? Well, I'm going to be out on a boat somewhere, Kelly. Um, as you know, uh, you know, I love to be out on the water. Um, and so anything to do with experiencing nature, I guess it doesn't have to be on a boat. Um, but being out in nature, being out in the woods, being out on the water, experiencing all of the other things that are beautiful in this world, that that's where you'll find me if I'm not working. I thought you were going to say professional singer. I was certain you were going to say professional musician. I'm a little surprised. Well, the, yeah, that's a pipe dream, but there's so much talent out there. I can't compete in that world. I can I can hope to enjoy it from time to time, but I, I certainly can't make a living out of it. But I do enjoy that aspect as well. Tim, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate you uh, coming on to the Kelly Woodland Podcast. And thank you, listeners, for listening. Good day. Thanks, Kelly. You're welcome.